Instagram, they contain traces of irony, sarcasm, satire, parody, mockery, banter, caricature, and nuts. The opinions expressed are almost certainly not shared by self-appointed officious dictatorial wowsers. If you are dangerously irony deficient or allergic to mockery of the self-important and corrupt, then get a life. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that's right. It's time for Environmental As Anything. Yet again, we are here to celebrate all life on Mother Earth. And uh, we are, uh, of course, doing so on the lands of the people of the Widgeable Wireable uh, country and uh, in the Bundjalung Nation. So we uh, pay respects to elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that this land is stolen and will always be the property of the Widgeable Wireable people. Thank you for joining Environmental as Anything yet again this week. We have a huge show lined up for you. It's been a show in which, uh, unusually for me, there's a bit of a focus on religious uh, matters. um, There's been quite an upswelling of people of faith coming out to do something to protect the creation, as they say. And uh, it's, uh, it's been inspiring to meet and speak to a, a couple of those uh, people this week. Uh, uh, we had Anne Lanyon from the Faith Ecology Network calling for a stronger EPBC Act at the federal level, talking to our Federal Minister for the Environment, Tanya Plibersek. We'll be hearing an interview from her uh, later on in the show. And also uh, Thea Ormerod from the Australian Response religious response to climate change, uh, conducting prayers and meditations and singing hymns outside uh, Anthony Albanese, Prime Minister Albanese's uh, electorate office in Sydney, and uh, along with 30 other locations around the country where similar events were being held. So I got to speak to uh, Thea there in Sydney uh, just the other day while that event was uh, just kicking off. And uh, I've got a, a, a comp- compiled a bit of a report on that, including some, uh, some, you know, some sounds from the event, some some prayers and some some hymns. So um, you know, we have a bit of a religious a religious focus here for environmental as anything today. Also, going to be focusing on COP28 very soon. Uh, my good friend and colleague George Pick is going to be coming in, and he's one of the local experts on matters to do with energy, uh, the transition to renewable prosperity and away from uh, the carbon fueled uh, climate emergency. So, of course, COP28 has been big on George's agenda and he's going to come in here at around 2.30 and we're going to spend half an hour talking about uh, the COP. And we have uh, clips from no lesser person than King Charles addressing the opening of the COP28 and also the uh, Secretary-General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, uh, saying, both saying very uh, Im- important and interesting things, encouraging us all to get behind the uh, transition uh, away from the fossil fools and on to that renewable prosperity that we're all looking forward to. It's also been a big week for the Greens. I don't normally focus too heavily on the Greens, but I have been uh, alerted to a lot of their activities this week. Quite a few successes for the Greens this week. Uh, a, uh, the, the Murray-Darling Basin plan got a, a, a serious lift uh, from a deal done between the Greens and the ALP to make sure that that water flows which are guaranteed in the Murray-Darling Basin plans actually flow through uh, to, the, uh, to the river. 
and uh, as well as a water trigger, another water issue, both of these to do with Senator Hanson Young, but uh, a water trigger being put into the uh, uh, our environment protection laws uh, to ensure that uh, you know fossil fuel companies can't just pollute our water supplies without uh, it being first okayed by at least by our federal environment minister. So that's that's a significant step forward. Also, uh, big calls for a ceasefire in Palestine, uh, where, of course, the genocide of the Palestinians' uh, people is, uh, is, is continuing at a disgusting pace, uh, like we've all seen that, the horror going on as the Israelis uh, murder uh, thousands of uh, Palestinian women, children and men, uh, innocents uh, in, who, who are being targeted for the revenge, uh, uh, the, the wargasm that they've, uh, they've unleashed on, uh, on, the, on Palestine. They've, they seem to be intent upon driving the Palestinians from their homeland finally and into Egypt. But in any case, uh, the Greens have been in, se- in the uh, Senate, in the federal uh, parliament, calling for a permanent ceasefire so that peace might uh, prevail there in Palestine. So that's, uh, uh, I've got some snip- uh, snippets from that. And, um, oh, look, yes, so much going on. Oh, of course, supermarket price gouging. Uh, you know, we're all having suffering under the, uh, the, the ungentle... Uh, uh, rule of the uh, the supermarket duopoly and their price gouging practices. We've, uh, we know that there's this profit price spiral going on in Australia, uh, where the inflation rate is is spiking as we all fork out uh, to to pay for the multi billion dollar record profits of the major multinational capitalists who are uh, who are running our country. So uh, yeah, the supermarket duopoly is now under uh, the uh, under the microscope from the Greens. Senator McKim has uh, is now going to be chairing a new inquiry in the federal parliament coming up. It's been agreed to, and not only have the the, the Greens been calling on uh, action on this level, but they also the National Farmers Federation uh, is is in alignment with them, if not alliance. Certainly, uh, they are aligned on their calls for uh, uh, a serious look into the uh, the pricing practices of the, uh, the the supermarket duopoly here in this country. So we've got a little snippet from Senator McKim uh, talking about that as well. So we'll do a little feature a segment on uh, you know the Greens week uh, this week. Uh, yesterday I was out in Myrtle State Forest where uh, I collected some audio from the Fridays for Forest crew who were there. So I've got a report there from Myrtle State Forest, which is again on the chopping block. Uh, our public native forests continue to be smashed in, in by the, uh, the, the vandals who are doing their, uh, uh, their criminal damage to, the, uh, to our, our life support system. Uh, New South Wales government funded loggers uh, you know, uh, are out are, are heading out to Myrtle State Forest again. Uh, Myrtle State Forest, of course, many of you will know and have visited because we have been protecting, the community has protected Myrtle State Forest from logging for about three years now, effectively. But, uh, yeah, just a heads up, it's back on the chopping block and uh, we were out there yesterday having a look at the damage that was done by the last bout of, uh, of logging in that area. Also in the forests was Styx River Forests and their Greater Glider Act that happened this week. Uh, Styx River is down there near Armadale on the, the, uh, the, the, in the mid-north coast uh, 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 highlands. And um, 
there was a, uh, a group of uh, courageous activists went out there and stopped work after they found the citizen scientists found greater glider dens, which uh, require a, a, a significant amount of protection for them to be able to survive a logging operation. Uh, of course, uh, Forest Corps failed to find them, as they seem to do wherever greater gliders are. The standard procedure for Forest Corps to actually just fail to find them, mainly because they don't look for them at night, when they're active, they only look for them during the day when they're hidden away and asleep. And so, oh, surprise, surprise, they never find any. Well, the uh, the, the courageous crew went down to uh, Sticks River Forest, a bunch of locals, and uh, got together and, and checked for gliders at night, found them, and then stopped work the next day to make sure that those gliders were safe. And that forest has now been protected for the time being. We've got a, the full, full report on uh, what happened on the day and a wrap-up from Sue Higginson who can explain the current status for Sticks River. In more good news for our climate, uh, we'll be speaking to Lena Sedano, who is one of the Round Table Four from Extinction Rebellion South Australia, who uh, were recently released uh, after having appeared in court for their actions to disrupt the South Australian government's hypocrisy for declaring a climate emergency and continuing to support new gas and oil projects in that state. Lena was released with no conviction recorded, along with her other three co-defendants of the Round Table Four, and we'll be having a chat with her about what motivated her to take that action and what she thinks is next for Extinction Rebellion and the climate in South Australia. So, uh, yes, there, there's been a lot going on. I'm very glad to have in the studio to help me unpick what's going on. Uh, George Pick. <laughs> Thanks, George, for being here on Environmental as Anything today. It's, pl it's my pleasure. I hope that we can have a, um, a decent conversation and um, there's a lot going on at the moment. It's a very conf um, complex world that we live in, especially in relation to energy and bringing down emissions. Indeed, indeed. So you've been keeping your eye on the COP process. Yes, I have. Yeah. I have. I, I have to confess that um, I haven't been doing the show. Um, I usually do it with Meg, but she had an accident. But even prior to that... I had a break from it. Um, there's a lot of, um, how would I say, I think a lot of ex people experience this uh, emotional ups and downs in relation to the issue. Yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes you do need a bit of a break and to try and get a, a clearer perspective on, on, on how to approach this, this issue. Oh, your climate grief's a very real thing. We yeah. all need to look out for it and yeah, give, ourselves, yeah. give ourselves a uh, break when we need one. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, sort of from that perspective, I've, I've sort of come back a little more fresh and um, willing to look at some of the underlying issues and, <laughs> Good. and, and so on, yep. So that's, that's a bit of a background. Yeah. No, oh, thank so you for, 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 for coming back in and facing up to the mic and, and yeah, sharing with us what you've yeah. been looking into. Yeah. What's going on? Okay. Well, look, it is the COP28 and um, there's some real difficulties, of course, as has been outlined and, and the president, Sultan Al-Jabir, Jabir, mm. um, is in a conflicting situation, and it's obvious to all. You know, he's the head of the CEO of a major oil company, uh, and uh, and or gas, Adnoc, I think it's called, and um, and at the same time, he's the head of the COP28. It's mm. a clear conflict of interest, mm. and um, I think he's been called called out. And but it's it's very interesting. In how do you how do you deal with that? How do you tackle with that? That we know that that's going on. And it's, it's quite easy to feel that we're defeated by it. Mm. But I think there's some good signs 
happening. There's, there's a been lot, some positives. Been, been, I mean, not huge, not not epochal, but no, certainly some things that we should take. There's been some positive signs, mm. and and I think if we can just hold the space of I'd almost call it the darkness um, of these. Be, um, um, uncomfortable messages mm. at the same time look and see what is happening mm. and there is a lot happening mm. there's a lot happening in the renewable space now mm. for example you know that they made a commitment and I think it was an overwhelming majority at, at the COP of committing to three times the number of renewables by 2030 yep and that's and, and, significant and that is huge mm. and mm. there's some great articles here uh, I might just try and, and go through yeah flick us through uh, some headlines uh, just, some, just some of the um, relevant facts about it if this could be delivered, if three times the uh, it's colossal the amount of energy um, that's going to be generated by 2030 by renewables, and it could um, equate to 85% reduction of fossil fuels. It would contribute to 85% of the wow. fossil fuel reductions. Wow. If, if um, and that's in accordance, believe it or not, with a 1.5 degree centigrade goal. Mm. Which I mean, you know, there are question marks about that, but. It's this massive, and this is what we've got to try and focus on, is um, I believe, is to encourage the massive rollout of renewables across the world. Mm. And certainly Australia, I think Labor's getting on it, getting um, beginning to realise that, yes, we have to get behind that. And they've just um, announced, you know, the capacity investment program? Oh, yes. Where they're going to underwrite, um, or not underwrite, but try and um, stimulate investment. Um, in renewables on a huge scale. Mm. So that's a positive outcome. So I think if we look carefully, you'll see that there are positive outcomes. And I think it's, you know, we try, well, I, at least I try and just put the, the negative stories to one side and just say, okay, you know, the fossil fuel industry at the moment has their way, but I think their days are numbered. Mm. And, you know, they're, they're, they're spruiking, you know, they've had, they've got so many, uh, what is it, two and a half thousand lobbyists apparently yep. at COP28. Well, let them have it. You know, mm. they're, they're on show, they're, they're, they're beating their breasts, they're trying to make out, yes, you know, we're ruling this, but slowly but surely there are stories coming out that they are slowly going to be. Um, yesterday's heroes you could say yeah it's like it, p people do say of the cop you know activists or climate climate warriors go are out there on this and on the streets in in various places we reported on last night last week the cop out uh, movement in sydney and basically saying that the cop is a cop out that it's a yeah. distraction you shouldn't really you know they shouldn't hope for anything good from yeah. it and and I, I i sort of see it, it it actually cuts both ways you know there's these 2000 whatever fossil fuel uh you know lobbyists yeah. going there they're also wasting their time yeah. if, if it's yeah. a complete distraction yeah uh, you know there if there's if there's nothing to be gained from it then they're yeah. they're, they're, they're wasting their time yeah. there yeah. as well because yeah. you know like it is actually behind the scenes and around yeah. the, the fringes that, yeah. it, that most things yeah. really change isn't uh, and, it? I, and i think the other thing is that they've their position now is very public mm. and it's it's more public than it's ever been before you mm. know like australia tends to try and hide these developments Whereas, as was mentioned in that previous article, they just come straight out with it. Yeah, we believe that fossil fuels should continue. Mm. Whereas, you know, we just won't answer any questions about that sort of thing. Mm. So I think it's, it's, it, people are beginning to see just where the position is. Mm. And I think that's not a bad thing. And it's it is pretty stark, isn't it? Yeah. When, when the, the oil executive is wearing, you know, like the traditional sheik's outfit and, uh, you know, it, it, it fits in with the, with the most cursory glance, the person with the most yeah. sort of like the, the roughest and, and least nuanced analysis would still end up looking at that going, that looks a bit sus. Yeah, yeah. with comments like he made, he was on an online um, forum a few weeks ago 
and he made a comment like that if, foss if fossil fuels were phased out, we'd go back to the dark ages or, or back into the caves, I think it was, <laughs> and that sort of thing. And it's just nonsense mm. because, you know, there is enough technology out there now. If the political will was there, it would totally demolish fossil fuels. The price of solar has come down dramatically, 40% reduction since pre-COVID days. That's how, how stark it is. And, mm. you know, there's even, in some of the articles I've read, it's even suggested now that solar panels complete with batteries may actually even be cheaper than having uh, wind power. Yeah. And, and that's becoming a bit of a, 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 a discussion point. Mm. Um, however, the wind does have the advantage, of course, is operating at night time. Mm. And, and mm. that's where it's probably, it'll continue. But so, you know, the industry is just going um, ahead leaps and bounds. Mm. And, and, and I think the thing is, if they can get this out quick enough, and it's going to be, and, and, and with government help, and the, the good news is that in America they have the inf inflation reduction um, legislation, and mm. that means that they're investing in all those sorts of, you know, not only PVs but batteries uh, and and various technologies, and encouraging people to take it up. Mm. So, you know, if they head in that direction, what it will mean is that the fossil fuels will no longer be required because mm. they won't be able, you know, as more electric vehicles um, hit the road, um, as more appliances are used by uh, for electricity rather than um, gas. Mm. Um, they're not going to be needed. And, yeah, and then no. economically, they're just not going to be viable. Now, no, that's the point I think that we need to focus on and, and not worry too much about what they say. Yeah, we're going to go indefinitely into the future. It's got to be part of the mix. That's what this, this fellow, this CEO guy has been saying, mm. that we've got to be part of the, of the mix into the, into the unforeseeable or future, you could say. Yeah, yeah and, and I, I just think you've just got to ignore that mm. and we've just got to focus, focus, focus on what we can do. Yeah. Look, hey, look, why don't we um, hear what uh, Antonio Guterres, the, uh, the Secretary General of the, the UN, said at his opening address. I've got a minute from him here. Yes. And uh, we can come back and keep chatting about all of that uh, after that. Great. Just, day just days ago, I was on the melting ice of Antarctica. Not long before, I was among the melting glaciers of Nepal. These two spots are far in distance, but united in crisis. Polar ice and glaciers are vanishing before our eyes, causing a walk the world over, from landslides and floods to rising seas. But this is just one symptom of the sickness bringing our climate to its knees, a sickness only you, global leaders, can cure. Excellencies, Earth's vital signs are failing. Record emissions, ferocious fires, deadly droughts, and the hottest year ever. We can guarantee it even we are still in November. We are miles from the goals of the Paris Agreement and minutes to midnight for the 1.5 degree limit. But it is not too late. We can you can prevent planetary crash and burn. We have the technologies to avoid the worst of climate chaos if we act now. So strong words there from, yeah. the, from no less a person than the Secretary General of yeah. the, the, you know, and of course words are cheap, but, uh, you know, that's, that's a man who, who yeah. speaks from the, 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 the pinnacle yeah. of uh, world, uh, yeah. you know, power systems. 
and uh, you know so clearly there are some some you know very very uh, onside levels yeah. i mean we're talking about i mean i've got a piece from king charles which is similarly strong yeah. which i'll play yeah. later but this yeah. the pope has also made really strong statements look, look the overall you know, the overall the overall impression i get is that throughout the world now there is so much pressure coming from all sides that these companies, um, the louder they say these are the fossil fuel companies that no, no, we're going to be around and we're going to expand, the more exposed they are mm. to absolute crumbling. They, uh, they do look more and more like tobacco executives yeah, did, yeah. Or, you know, have done for quite a while. They're That's beginning right. to p- appear in the public eye to be just like a pack of liars with you, you talk, who, who, you, are you, who set on killing us all, you know. You talk tough, basically, yeah. And, yeah. and this is their last defence, and they know it. And mm. look, I've got an article, great article here. I just might summarise it yeah. in today's Sydney Morning Herald in the business section. And, and the, the head, heading is, reduce carbon footprint or face higher finance rates warns NAB. Mm. And Australia's largest business lender said it's inevitable banks will charge high interest rates for businesses that do not have credible plans to reduce their emissions footprint. So what's going to happen is that they're going to have to come in now and explain exactly what they're doing in the area of reducing their emissions. And if they have no plan or if they have nothing to show, then they're going to be hit with a higher interest rate. Mm. And it's, it, it, it correlates with the um, carbon um, tax, import tax in, Euro- in the European Union. I think it's coming in 2025. Right. And they're going to have to, importers to that uh, market are going to have to show what they've done. And if they don't, haven't done enough, they'll be hit with a tariff or yeah. with a tax. So, look, you just get the feeling that things are beginning to move, mm. you know, slowly at first, but I think things are beginning to move. That sounds like a, a steep, slippery slope, that, for, you know, because there's nothing banks like more than to be able to find an excuse for jacking up their interest yeah, rates. Yeah. And so if they all get on board with something like that, it, it's, it becomes a, a yeah. de jure but, carbon tax. But but that's right. But it's it's in their interest, though. Mm. Because, mm. you know, um, the, the, the businesses that, that they will lend to are going to be under so much pressure that their own, they might fold or, you know, if they're not doing the right thing and so on. So it's in their own interest mm. to safeguard their, their asset. Then. That's a good one. And uh, Chomsky always says, if you want to know what's really going on, read the business pages. Yeah. That's <laughs> well, I, I, I tend to. I, I usually go there um, because you really know what's going on and, it's, it's, and it can be qu- quite at variance to the rest of the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. What else have you got there in that, uh, that weighty sheaf you've got? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well... I might just talk a little bit about um, the new legislation that's come through. Yeah. Um, it's only in the last few days, I believe, or this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and the heading is, it's from the ABC. It was on the 6th of this month. And it says, gas projects to require Commonwealth approval after the Labor Greens deal expands the water trigger. Now, yep. um, have, have we have you talked much about this or no? But I've got a little bit of audio from uh, that'll, that. Once you're, you're done, okay. we might play the bit of audio from uh, Senator Hanson Young about exactly that. Okay. Well, look, why don't I just uh, yeah, run through the, the article? I'll yep. just run through the article, and it simply says that unconventional unconventional gas productions uh, will require new approvals from the Commonwealth after the government brought forward its plan to expand the so-called water trigger. 
Now, at the moment, or up until recently, the water trigger just ensured that fracking projects w were assessed by the Commonwealth, but now uh, for their impact on water supplies. But now with this adjustment to the legislation, it's going to open it up to other types of unconventional gas projects, including shale. Now, what that means, most importantly, are projects like the Beetaloo Basin, yep. the massive project yep. in the Northern Territory, are going to come under scrutiny. And that is a And they're going to have to be reassessed and reapproved. Is yes. that how it works? I wow. believe they're going to be checked. The water trigger element is going to be um, up there for the approval. Another area is um, in Western Australia, the Kimberleys and southwest Queensland. Yep. Um, so they're just broadening it. Before it was just that niche um, coal seam gas, and, and, and that's a wonderful um, result. And uh, and you're quite wrong, quite right. Sarah Hanson-Young described the updated uh, water trigger as a big win for the environment. Yeah, let's hear what she has w to say on that. Well, that, That's a great, yep, that's that'd be good. Good news for Australia. Hmm. We've just had another big win for the environment and for climate here in the parliament this week and a massive blow to the fossil fuel companies, particularly the gas corporations who want to frack in the Beetaloo and the Northern Territory. Currently, these companies can bypass environmental laws. It's crazy. They can just get away with drilling for gas and without any environmental assessment. Well, not anymore, because the Greens have put a water trigger in Australia's environment laws, which will hold them to account. Traditional owners, local communities, farmers in the Northern Territory have been begging us to do this, to make sure they have a voice, that they their water is protected and that the environment uh, is, is looked after. These gas companies are going to be really pissed off when they find out just what a blow this is. A win for nature, a win for climate, a kick in the guts for the gas industry and all because the Greens used our balance of power in the Senate. Thanks for your support. Fantastic news. Fantastic news. Uh, it is absolutely wonderful. Now, just a, a bit of a... Uh, uh, as a result of that... Um, some people have made different organisations have made comments. Lock the gate that was um, behind it um, were very, very happy, of course, in the passing of this legislation, which is great news. Um, someone who wasn't one group that wasn't that thrilled was the National Farmers Federation. They were a bit disappointed, and the reason being is that they want protections so that prime farming land couldn't be locked up um, for diversity reasons and. Um, but the farmers for climate action were delighted with the legislation and because i haven't quite i haven't made that connection it's just it's the water trigger but part oh what i haven't mentioned is that part of this legislation included the nature repair bill ah. sorry i've jumped a step here yep, yep. and that paves the way for landholders to earn tradable credits for promoting native habitat and species yep okay now this has been a fantastic result and i give it you know uh hand a, a complete um confidence to the greens for their ability to be able to pull this off i mean it's just amazing mm. that they've been able to get this through and so 
as I said, that it means, like for example, um, creek beds removing invasive species could be eligible for this program. Yeah, and it's a s and they can earn money from it as well. Yeah, it's a big it's a big plus for farmers yeah. uh, to be able to earn money from actually doing the kind of repair work yep. that they'd like to see done for their farm anyway. Yeah, and that's what the farmers for climate action w- were saying. It means that the farmers will be able to make drought-proof income. Mm. from the diversity and the carbon credits mm. and other conversation groups con- conservation groups <laughs> have have un um, have welcomed the removal of offsets from the legislation so it can't be used as a cheap way you know that yeah yeah those phony offsets you can't justify killing yeah. uh, killing off one one bit of eco- yeah. ecological yeah, diversity right. by, by but protecting but another somewhere but else. if they're doing some genuine work on their own land mm. they can cl- um, get credits or can claim for it yeah. which is fabulous yeah, yeah the other bit of legislation that as we know is that labor agreed to this and i mean this was uh, um they promoted this idea and that is that um, labour hire companies now are not allowed to um, get their labour from, this is for the mining companies, mm. um, aren't able to do that if it's cheaper than employing their regular persons. Yeah. And, you know, there's a ban now on being able to use, and the mining companies are absolutely up in arms about it. Mm. The Minerals Council declared this as a, and I quote, declaration of war <laughs> against business. And I think they've already spent $20 million in trying to support their case. Well, they, 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 they may, we'll see how they go with that. But, that's, um, but you know, like I, I also heard on the community radio uh, news network this morning about, uh, about this. And, and the point being made that I hadn't thought about was these FIFO workers, fly-in, fly-out workers, deprive local communities of the opportunities that are, that are there for those jobs. That's right. You know, so yeah. if you actually yeah. want to, to make yeah. it, you know, remote yeah. communities sustainable, yeah. you need to be able to make yeah. sure that those jobs are not flying yeah. FIFO. You know, yeah. you make sure that, that those jobs actually go to the local people. That model, that model's, I think, has been unsatisfactory for both parties. I yeah. think for the fly-in, fly-out, I mean, the, you hear of stories of how that's wrecked marriages and, mm. and various things. It's not a, a, a very sustainable Well, good on the model. ALP standing yeah. up for the workers. But and th- good on the Greens for, for, for helping. Yeah, that. so yeah. that's a double barrel. Mm. I mean, this is the thing is we've got the water trigger, we've got this um, repair um, environment bill as well. And, and there was the Murray-Darling Basin. I and just the Murray da- yeah, so, you know, even though on the face of it, Labor, you know, and I've been scornful of Labor as well about their lack of, uh, you know, um, their willingness to approve these fossil fuel projects. But look, we live in hope, and this could be a hopeful sign that there is change afoot. And that you know, they, and I've always thought that that why don't they just don't tackle it directly? But mm. you know, there are other ways of trying to trip them up. Yeah, well, there's all sorts of uh, levels of regulation yeah. that that yeah. need to be improved upon, yeah. and it doesn't need to be some huge sweeping statement that we're you know we are now we are now signing the bill that saves yeah. the world. There's never yeah. going to be ha- that's never going to happen. Uh, exactly, it really, really requires the yeah. the, the, the detail yeah. of, of these things to be and to and, be and and you know this has all been done before under the Julia Gillard government. Mm. You know they did that they did those sorts of things. You know mm. the water trigger came in, it was approved, and that was for CSG. And, and so, you know, there have been ways of, of trying to slow them down and, and, and be obstacles to their development. Mm. And meanwhile, uh, you know, Dutto is off there in the corner screaming that we should all go and yeah. get, get nukes. Yeah. We should all get nuked. 
And that's his answer to all of our, our energy problems. Apparently, yeah. we should triple. Oh, and yeah. I, you know, I was thinking about it afterwards, yeah. thinking his statement that we should have signed up to triple our nuclear power fleet. And I thought, actually, you know what? He's right. We <laughs> should. Because we've got zero, zero right now. And still be zero. We should just triple it. We should keep tripling it every week, I reckon. And, and, and like, see how we go with that, Dutto. Yeah, I, know. I, know. I mean, I could really, like, the level yeah. of the, 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 how facile can your analysis be yeah. when, you, yeah. when you stumble over something? But he's, he's a dangerous fellow, though, Dutton. Mm. He's. He's got that ability to, to twist and turn. And we know how he, uh, the yes-no vote, uh, the referendum, mm. of, of how easy it is for him to try and, and turn. And that's where they've, you know, I think Labor's being really mindful and very careful about this. And maybe they, they need to be. Yes. Well, look, we are almost approaching the top of the half hour, which we've set ourselves for this segment. But uh, we did have a couple of really good news stories that we wanted oh, to yeah. touch on before we went, uh, yeah. because there's been some real good, de- been important developments in terms of uh, technology and engineering uh, for 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 our renewable energy uh, transition, yep. uh, which you were you were pointing out to me off air. Yes, I, c- I could. Why don't I just um, go through? Yep, briefly. Just, riff on that. just yep. uh, it's um, this is by the Renew Economy. Giles Parkinson, he's the man, yeah, and, and he's the guy. he. he um, he specialises in um, solar panels uh, and their success. And so the headline is Stunning Leap in Rooftop uh, Photovoltaic Smashes Renewables Records Across the Grid. Mm. And um, essentially he says that output records for re- renewables continue to fall in Australia's national electricity market, the latest driven by a huge leap in rooftop solar. Now, this is where it's all coming from. Mm. And at the moment, Australia's got 20 gig- gigawatts of, of solar um, renewables in the national electricity market, which is huge. By far the biggest uh, yeah. generator of, of a single generator yeah. of electricity it is, it is. compared to any other power yeah. station. But interestingly, out of that 20 gigawatts, um, rooftop solar has 13.1 gigawatts, wow. which is the majority. So mums and dads are leading yeah, the charge. It yeah. is, yeah. and it's eating out the what they call what he calls the the day lunch of the coal generators because <laughs> there's nothing for them at all to eat yeah. um, during the middle of the day. But interestingly enough, it's also affecting utility-scale solar um, oh. as well. Yeah. Right. Now, th- the reason is that um, rooftop solar, when you think about it, it will when it generates um, power back into the grid, it will, first of all, be consumed by the nearest neighbours. Mm. So right. any neighbour that requires power along that um, pathway, that sub sub-circuit, um, is going to be utilised. And then if there's excess, it'll go through the transformer uh, back into the network. Mm. So it doesn't need transmission lines. No. You see, this is where, and this is why there's so much of it, and yeah. it gets um, readily, so in big city areas, big townships and so on, the electricity is going to be utilised almost straight away. Yeah. And that's why, the dem- you know, the gr- if you look at the graphs, you can see them. And the demand for coal and gas and even the... The, the the big utilities isn't required j- during the middle of the day. Well, I've often said that it of so- solar, you know, rooftop solar, that it is literally a revolutionary technology in the sense that it gives the means of production into the hands of the consumers and the and the, the absolutely, the absolutely. In fact, Giles said the consumer is producing the main electricity. The balance of power is tipping away from the incumbent generators and he puts it very nicely in that way and there's no sign of it slowing down in november for example uh, 330 megawatts of rooftop went up um with giving a yearly record of 3.2 gigawatts that's huge and uh yeah 
Because that's, that's the newly installed 3.2 yeah, gigawatts. Year, just this year. Yeah, right. It's an extraordinary amount of power. Yeah, um, that's, uh, and that's about 15% of the total installed base in one year. Yeah. That's a massive yeah, increase. It is a massive increase. Yeah. And they're tipping that the, the price of solar modules is going to come down even further by up to 40% by 2040. Um, I've seen even lower figures. I'll be giving them away in your cornflakes well, packet. Just, it'll yeah. be. And the other thing that's happened is that the modules are so big now, you can get a module that's almost half a kilowatt, 500 mm. watts. Mm. And so the average, um, they've done studies on this, that the average size on a rooftop is 9.9 kilowatts. Now, yeah. can you imagine that? When I bought my system, which was about... Uh, seven eight years ago it was two that was the average yeah. and then about three or four years later it was six yeah. and now it's nine po- I, I couldn't believe it 9.9 kilowatts well i know from going out there and knocking on doors selling those systems to yeah. people there was a lot of occasions where i'd be selling the 6.6 kilowatt systems yeah. as a standard system but there'd be a lot of occasions where i'd be going honestly you would be better off yeah. getting a 10 kilowatt system yeah. Yeah. you know again it's just genuinely like your consumption patterns and yeah. the, and 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 you know your yeah. bill th- portfolio you'd really be better yeah, off with a bigger yeah, system and yeah. most people would go oh yeah do the maths yeah it, it, and and and, up. and the networks are allowing it to happen now they mm. they they put limits on it before mm. but i think they realize now that this is going to save them save the whole system a whole lot of money mm. if they can do it this way and so it means that things like heat pumps um induction heaters cook cookers electric vehicles and all the rest of it will be able to utilize that energy yeah, yeah. yeah. so um f- it's fabulous yeah. development um Queensland's beginning to um, improve its dependency on um, solar on solar and wind at 6.8 gigawatts, which is a big improvement. Um, Victoria also reached um, heights, um, record heights. So it's looking pretty good. I think overall, I'd, I'd say um, you'd be a mug not to invest in that technology. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's only going to get cheaper and governments are realising it. And um, there was a bit of a slump this year um, due to various reasons uh, for utility. It's to do with the transmission lines. Mm. So mm. the um, federal government, and I mentioned this off air, um, ha- um, devised the Capacity Investment Scheme. Mm. And they've just um, allocated, or at least they want to contract 23 gigawatts of power over the next four years of, of renewables. That's a huge amount. They want to stimulate that and they'll give some money towards that. Uh, yeah, yes. well, if we're going to triple our, our, yeah. our, our, you know, it's like by 2030, triple our renewable yeah. installed base, we're really yeah. going to have to take Well, that's right. We're going to have to go from 20 to 60 gigawatts yeah. Yeah. And, uh, of renewables. Yeah. That's, but it's doable. It's entirely oh, it doable. Is doable. It's fast, and it's uh, yeah. it's fast yeah. to roll out across the yeah. country yeah. If, if you give the right subsidies yeah. in the right places. It's uh, and it's, it's happening. It's achievable. happening. It's actually we're on track to do it already. We are. Yeah, like that's one of the things about yeah. for Australia yeah. signing up to the to yeah. tripling our renewable yeah. energy. It's like yeah, well, I'm I'm signing yeah. up for getting out of bed tomorrow. You know, yeah. like it's happening anyway. You know? it, it is, and and the US is doing a similar thing. You know, mm. with the Inflation Reduction Act. Mm. They're, d- they're heading in the same. And despite the fact that China is building, I think, still coal-fired power stations and utilising it, mm. but they are um, heading towards um, developing huge amounts of renewables. I think it's over 200 gigawatts um, this year. It's a massive amount. So, you know, they're, they're sort of hedging a, a bit both ways. But um, I think that they realise it's, it's only heading in one direction. Mm. And so... I think that's the kind of thing that's going to um, squeeze out the fossil fuel industries. I, I think you can... They're not going to give up their, 
the the pressuring of governments and and, mm. uh, and the rest of it to keep things going but i think that'll do them in the end mm. Mm. george that's just fantastic thank you so much uh, we should probably wrap it i've got to i'm going to finish this off with uh, another a little bit from the cop which is uh, no less a person than king charles giving his opening address i thought he had an, an inter- couple of interesting things to say well let's let's hear it yeah well, thanks, mate, and we'll talk to you. Hopefully, we'll get you back in next week, if possible, as we'll, soon as we'll, we can. Uh, we'll, as soon as possible. I'll yeah. just see what's what's in the headlines. See how we go. <laughs> yeah. Certainly in the new year. We'll have a Merry Christmas, yeah. mate, in, yeah. in case yeah. we don't. I think that might be, that, that's probably more realistic notion. I'll see you in the new year. Okay, good yeah. on you, George. Thanks yeah. for coming into Environmental as Anything again today. Lovely. All these decades later, and despite all the attention, there is 30% more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere now than there was back then, and almost 40% more methane. Some important progress has been made, but it worries me greatly that we remain so dreadfully far off track, as the Global Stocktake report demonstrates so graphically. The dangers are no longer distant risks, I have seen across the Commonwealth and beyond countless communities which are unable to withstand repeated shocks, whose lives and livelihoods are laid waste by climate change. Surely, real action is required to stem the growing toll of its most vulnerable victims. We have uh, Fridays for Forest community out here in the forest, having a look at some of the damage that's been done here at Myrtle State Forest by the logging operation, which was stopped by the recent court action. Now, you know, the biggest trees here are not particularly big. Most of the trees here are tiny little sticks. What's left behind after they finish these operations is huge piles of waste uh, that are left here to burn the next time the forest uh, actually lights up, which won't be long. It's sweltering hot here today, and we're in the midst of an El Nino and, uh, and a climate emergency. So come down and join us in Myrtle State Forest. Help us defend these forests from the, uh, the criminals. Help defend our public native forest from this criminal negligence and vandalism that's going on in them. Hi, well, I couldn't believe it today when I understood that uh, Myrtle State Forest was going to be logged again after what it's been through these last years with the fires and all the logging that has taken place. And they're here, uh, the uh, Forestry Corporation, to take out even more of what's left of this forest, which has been absolutely devastated by all of these things. So we're here today to say enough is enough, really enough is enough, and they have to end native forest logging in New South Wales, absolutely. Hi, I'm here with the Lismore for Forest group. Um, We're out at Myrtle State Forest, and we're here particularly today because of the 
uh, lost case in the Landed Environment Court for Myrtle and Bramer State Forest, and that's devastating news. One of them is protected until December the 31st, but the other is actively being logged now. And we've been campaigning for ages and ages, and we just have to have an end to this. And I'd really like to know when Labor is going to side with the lean aspect of their Labor Party and end native forest logging now. Hi, I'm Dot. Uh, we're at Myrtle State Forest and it's very hot. Uh, but we're here because it's really important to let everybody know that logging is going on here. After everything that's happened with the fires and the floods, they're still going back in. You guys should know about this and we're trying to get our politicians yeah. to wake up and do yes. something yes. about it now. Yes. Thank you. Time to take action. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dave. We're here at Myrtle State Forest. We want these forests protected. Forestry Corp's coming in here and they're wanting to log this. We've recently lost a court case. There's a lot of species in here that are also endangered, plus our dear friend here, the koala. And yeah. we need everyone to act. So come on, Chris and Penny. Mm. The federal government can do something obedient long enough and stop yeah. subsidising. You're wasting our money and you won't. Janelle, you're supposed to be working on the relief. Where's the money? It's going into Forestry Corp. We need action now. Action. Yeah. Yes. Hi, I'm Chibor. I'm here again and again at Myrtle State Forest because they're coming back and logging in here. They're already here. We lost that bloody court case. What's gone wrong in this world? Shame. We're still Shame. throwing money Shame. into these gangsters, destroying our biodiversity, our forests. Shame. What are the kids going to look at in, yeah. their, in a few years' time? There's nothing oh, left. No. Come on, wake up, Labour. Stand up, get a backbone. Speak up. Stop this logging. Stop getting taxpayers' dollars to support these forestry corporations going nuts in here. Yes. Come on, it's time. It's yeah. over and out. We can't come here anymore. It's getting too hot and we're getting too old. Yes. Move it. Melding. Yes. 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 Getting too hot and we're getting too old. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> we got more to do this. Oh, no. I'm standing in the log dump of the, uh, the, the logging operation that was stopped by the... Uh, Land and Environment Court case in progress here in Myrtle State Forest. And as you can see, the forest itself is made up of uh, tiny little trees. It's, uh, it's struggling to survive this forest after having been logged to the, within an inch of its life uh, over the last hundred years and, uh, and then burnt to almost to complete extinction. It's barely hanging on. And, in the, and you can see in the background behind me a, uh, a heap of piles of bark and waste that are left behind behind this logging operation. We're here today because there's actually, they're planning, the forest corps are planning to come in here and, uh, and log the rest of this forest now that they've uh, managed to slip through the net of the, the legal case that uh, was brought to try to uh, stop them. But what you'll see behind me as I come around this corner here is what we see in every log dump everywhere that these uh, these criminals are in operation is uh, you know the, the the waste the piles and piles of waste timber which are left behind it never ceases to amaze me and uh, here behind me right now over here there's these straight poles too skinny for for, for any timber usage but felled anyway 
and then uh, you know another pile of them over there just sitting there doing nothing because they really have no particular value this is uh, the, the way that it goes when the, the, the capitalist logging operation is heavily subsidised by the New South Wales taxpayer. People don't understand the, the waste and, and destruction that happens with uh, logging operations here in our public native forests in New South Wales. This is what's left behind. Every log dump I've ever been in looks like this. It's a, it's, it's a disaster for, for the forests and for our koalas, for our gliders, and, uh, and for our water supplies, for our climate. It, uh, this mess that's being left behind is a tinderbox ready to burn. Here we are in the midst of the El Nino uh, fueled climate emergency fires that are likely to sweep through this forest any time now. And uh, this ready-made bonfire has been left behind by the people who are supposed to be managing our forests. It's uh, really, how many houses could we build out of that if people were building houses out of hardwood? Anyway, come down to Myrtle State Forest, help us save our public native forests from this uh, insanity. And uh, people are here who, uh, who've got a message for Chris Minns and Penny Sharp, what do we want to say to the New South Wales government people? Stop, Stop logging, Myrtle State Forest! North East New South Wales forest protectors have today stopped logging in Sticks River State Forest, northeast of Armidale, in order to protect greater gliders in their homes. Citizen scientists have found dozens of glider sightings in Sticks River Forest where Forestry Corporation of New South Wales have found none. The greater gliders have been filmed entering their dens with at least nine glider records in total being found in the compartment as of Monday night. The Environmental Protection Agency of New South Wales has issued stop work orders in two forests in southern New South Wales recently where they were shown to have greater glider den trees, which need a 50 metre protection buffer. Community members are calling on the EPA to issue a stop work order in Sticks River State Forest today. I'm Luca Lamont and I'm 24 years old and I am in Sticks River State Forest. I have the pleasure to be part of a citizen science team that is surveying greater gliders and finding the breaches of forestry. We found over 20 greater gliders in their habitat trees, den trees, that um, we captured footage of their, them coming out of the hollows right um, by, the side, by the side of the track of the um, logging tracks that they've made. So they're breaching their, their um, 50 metre zone for um, having greater gliders um, in a habitat tree. They're logging right on their doorstep. Two stop work orders have been issued in the southeast forests uh, because of greater gliders uh, shown to be there in their den trees. Uh, what are you hoping will happen in Sticks River State Forest? Yeah, well, hopefully after the breach report that we've just sent out, EPA will arrive this morning and um, tell forestry to stop work and for the next 40 days, um, yes, so that they reassess all their breaches that they've made and hopefully, yeah, it's... It's longer than, than 40 days. What's preventing uh, the forestry from carrying on logging in that area right now? 
Yeah, so the group of citizen science also um, captured the three machines that they were using and have a um, activist, a passion activist that's sitting up 25, 30 metres up in the um, tree and not coming down until they, until EPA arrives. Yeah, this kind of conflict has been uh, plaguing uh, forestry operations uh, around New South Wales and around Australia. What, what do you think is the ultimate answer to this, uh, this ongoing community conflict? Yeah, well, for forestry to back down and to end native forest logging completely, I mean, I think the time is way past. Um, yeah, we've seen so many breaches by forestry and um, EPA are, are, a bit, are very busy, I know that at the moment. So, yeah, I think it's just, yeah, as, as for our planet anyway, we need to end it now. I'm speaking to Dylan Pugh, the president of the Northeast Forest Alliance. Uh, Dylan, today in Sticks River State Forest, there are actors uh, in trees holding the uh, logging at bay while they protect a glider habitat. You released a, a statement only a couple of days ago uh, about this. Can you give us a bit of a background on how we've come to this point? Uh, certainly. The... Um the uh, logging rules, what they call the CIFOA, uh, requires that the Forestry Corporation look for and identify den trees of greater gliders and yellow belly gliders and protect 50 metres around them. And this has been a requirement for decades, yet the forestry has never done it. So we found in northeast New South Wales that they're just not looking for greater gliders, let alone their den trees or yellow belly gliders. They're just ignoring the law. The EPA just got to stop work. As they, as the precedent is for um, Talaganda and Flat Rock, they've got to stop work while there's a proper assessment done for greater glider den trees. On the 14th of November 2023, the Environment Protection Authority of New South Wales released a statement saying in part... Stop work order issued for forestry operations in Flat Rock State Forest. The New South Wales Environment Protection Authority, EPA, has issued an immediate stop work order on Forestry Corporation of New South Wales to cease harvesting in parts of the Flat Rock State Forest near Ulladulla on the south coast. Following a community complaint, EPA officers inspected several sites in one active logging compartment yesterday and identified what appeared to be an endangered southern greater glider den tree within 30 metres of active logging. The EPA understands that no den trees were identified by the Forestry Corporation prior to logging commencement. Under the Coastal Integrated Forestry Operations approval, Forestry Corporation New South Wales is required to plan, implement and conduct forestry operations in a competent manner. Once identified, Forestry Corporation is required to protect den trees and implement 50 metre exclusion zones around them. EPA Executive Director of Operations Jason Gordon said the protection of southern greater glider and the vulnerable yellow belly glider was especially important given the impacts of the 2019-20 bushfires. We've got to stop logging your public native forest, really. I mean, it's not just the grey glider, it's not just the yellow belly glider. We have similar issues with koalas where they're going in and logging boats of the koala bee trees um, across a whole range of species. There, uh, they just can't go on logging their habitat. Uh, those species are in uh, dire straits, they're endangered, that's in danger of extinction, and forests go on destroying their homes. I mean, it just can't go on if we want those species to survive. 
Uh, look, it's just outrageous that the community has to step up and do the job the EPA are meant to be doing. They're negligent. They're not doing their job, and it's just absolutely irresponsible for them not to do so. Okay, I'm with Sue Higginson and we're talking about the forest action this week in Sticks River and the upshot from that. So, Sue, could you give us a, a, a potted summary of what was the outcome from the actions this week in Sticks River for greater gliders? Yeah, certainly. So... What we know is the EPA were quick to respond, which I think there was all round applause around. EPA got on side, but then what followed was really, really quite surprising and caused for quite some alarm. And that is, we understand EPA has been very quiet in the public arena. And instead, what we've seen is a forestry corporation response. Uh, and remember, EPA is the regulator here. EPA went in with a strong case that Forestry Corporation had broken the environmental protection laws. But what we've seen come out of it is a voluntary undertaking by Forestry Corporation to stand down its work crews and for Forestry Corporation to undertake some more ecological greater glider assessment survey work. We don't know what that involves and we haven't yet had anything official other than that narrative from EPA. Now, the reason I say this is for cause for serious alarm is two reasons. One, we had very similar facts and circumstances in the southern forest, so south of Sydney in relation to Talaganda and then, of course, Flat Rock State Forest. And what we saw there was the EPA issued a stop work order directly. Mm. Regardless of what Forestry Corporation said or didn't say, they issued a legal regulatory response, namely a stop work order. They haven't done that here. The reason this is quite alarming is we need to understand why there is an inconsistency of regulatory response from the EPA. Inconsistencies of response to regulation is not good practice. It leads with just cause to suspicion. It is often what we see when we see influence coming from the wrong places. And in fact, history has shown when you have inconsistent responses, sometimes there has been corruption at the bottom of those inconsistent responses. I'm not remotely suggesting that here and now, but what I'm saying is when you get an inconsistent response, it leads to suspicion and that's for just reason. Um, so we're very concerned about that. We contact, we've been in contact with the EPA. We're asking for an explanation and a justification, uh, you know, to put it perfectly and, um, or, or sorry, to put it imperfectly um, critical. Are we suggesting the greater gliders south of Sydney are more important and require a specific regulatory response different to the greater gliders in the north of the region and north of Sydney? And then, of course, the second really concerning fact is... We understand Forestry Corporation is going to be undertaking some kind of ecological assessment survey effort for greater gliders. We know that that has led to this first failing. We don't know and understand what that survey and assessment effort will be. We don't know what the methodology will be. We don't know who is supervising that or whether this is Forestry Corporation left to its own devices. So whilst what we have is 
a good outcome on the ground because we know that work has stopped and once again as a result of community turning up and citizen science doing the work that Forestry Corporation didn't do but we've got these two very big pertinent looming um, questions and they're very serious questions. The, the one that really really causes concern for me is this inconsistency in approach. That is a matter of regula regulatory certainty is something that communities have a legitimate expectation around um, and here we seem to have one rule for forestry corporation on the south coast and one rule for forestry corporation on the north and that is a worry and we are determined to get to the bottom of that. Well thanks Sue, sounds like a lot of questions unanswered, a lot of stories to be told yet. Thanks Sean, we'll get to the bottom of it. We are all facing down the impending storms of the climate emergency and some of us are actually taking action to uh, try to stop it in its tracks. So uh, this, uh, this week, uh, uh, the Extinction Rebellion South Australia rebels, uh, Ia, Mary, Lena and John, appeared on Monday morning in the Adelaide Magistrates Court. Uh, the four protesters disrupted the opening address by the Minister for Energy and Mining in South Australia last year at the South Australia Roundtable for Oil and Gas. They bravely called out the uh, South Australian government's hypocrisy for declaring a climate emergency, then continuing to support new gas and oil projects in South Australia. And uh, no conviction was recorded. So the Roundtable 4 will each have to serve 21 hours community service and they think the community service is precisely what their climate activism has been. So I'm very happy to have uh, on the line uh, Ms. Ms. Lena Sedano, uh, who was one of those uh, Roundtable 4, to, uh, to speak to us here on Environmental as Anything today. Thank you, Lena, for, for joining us uh, from all the way over there in South Australia. Hi, Sean, and hi to your listeners. And uh, I'm speaking to you from Ghana country in um, South Australia. And uh, I want to acknowledge that their sovereignty has never been ceded. Indeed. So, thanks for that um, great summary, Sean. We did indeed disrupt uh, Minister Coots and Tonus. And just to give your listeners a bit of uh, background for this, South Australia has become a bit of an epicentre for the fossil fuel industry conference circuit. And so in the space of 12 months, we had two major industry conferences in our large con convention centre in the middle of the city. Um, the organisation now calls itself Australian Energy Producers, but it's the oil and gas industry's peak body that many of your listeners will know as APIA. Uh -huh. So they've had um, four days of uh, meetings before this day that we disrupted that was an annual roundtable run by the South Australian government for the oil and gas industry and noteworthy because it was a roundtable open to the public. So we um, bought tickets mm -hmm. as members of the public in our own name. We uh, were screened and entered the uh, round table and uh, after the uh, uh, welcome to country um, by uh, Auntie Rosary Wanganeen, um, I blew a whistle and uh, disrupted the minister's speech and by the time we were to the stage of 
blowing the whistle and interrupting. Uh, myself and Dr Mary Heath had glued one of our hands to the glass doors of the uh, forum and two others had chained themselves to the stainless steel door handles in the same um, area. Mm. Well, essentially what we were saying and what I started by saying was we have to interrupt your speech, Minister, because this is a climate emergency. Mm. And we looked at uh, the two previous annual reports of the department and we were dismayed that within just a few months of the Malinowskis government being elected and being the first state in Australia to declare a climate emergency after the leadership of the ACT, um, we had a government that, despite its world-leading renewables credentials, was continuing to grant licences for the exploration and production of oil and gas and was continuing to spend South Australian public funds on subsidising uh, Santos's uh, project for carbon capture and storage in the north of the state. Mm. So we were really saying, calling them out and saying, you know, which side are you on? What are, we, what are South Australians supposed to believe? Mm. Either you accept the science and we're going for net zero ASAP or you're fueling the climate crisis by continuing to uh, encourage and support the gas and oil industry in South Australia. They can't have a bet each way, can they, on this? It's, uh, it's no, one of those things that we seem to see on, on a lot of levels. Uh, government, uh, government's trying to say, oh, it's OK, we're doing our bit, we're increasing renewables, and that's all very laudable. But what you're saying and what, uh, what the increasing number of people in the community are recognising is that these fossil fuels have to stay in the ground. Yeah, that's right. And and just to give you a sense of just how grotesque the hypocrisy is, um, South Australia now meets um, more than half the year its energy demand entirely from renewables. Um, we were the first major power grid in the world to run 100% on solar, and that was back in October 21. Mm -hmm. And we have a commitment to net zero by 2050, too late, but that's been on the books for a, for a while. And yet, at the time I made this speech, in two consecutive years, they had doubled the number of petroleum wells. Mm. So it's not just a small breach of faith. You know, when you're going from 54 permits in 21, 2021 to 100 in 2022 and, and more in this year, mm. it, it just, no wonder people don't feel any sense of trust mm. when these declarations are made because they then revert to business as usual. Mm. And, and not, not even business as usual, but, but, but ramping it yeah. up into to a unprecedented yeah. levels. Yeah. yeah, and Minister Coots and Tonus is um, not shy about saying that South Australia is a gas state that the Malinowskis government will always speak up for the gas and oil industry in this state. Mm. And it's extremely difficult to get any attention to the hypocrisy of that. So mm. that's why we took this action. And uh, we were very um, grateful that the magistrate was able to examine the evidence about what we did 
and our reason for doing it. And although clearly we were cautioned about having taken action that was knowingly unlawful, um, he characterised the nature of the um, action as uh, almost trivial, really minor in the scheme of things, and I think that influenced his decision to uh, determine that no conviction would be entered. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing is that all four of us have had, uh, uh, might I say, um, honourable. We've all had professional careers, of public service in one way or another. Dr Mulligan's a medical administrator and an emergency physician. Dr Heath's a law lecturer. John Wishart has made a major contribution to the union and environmental um, organising in the state. Um, and my contributions have been in the health sector. So we were all people who've been accustomed to uh, if you like, doing things the right way. Mm. But we got to a point where we recognised that civil disobedience is the only way we're going to draw attention to this, hold governments and fossil fuel climate criminals to account and disrupt their views mm. publicly. I think I, I think I I particularly like the the action that you've you've taken and in in the sense that you've specifically targeting those who are causing the problem and the decision makers who are responsible for preventing the problem simultaneously it seems and and gone and disrupted their behaviour which is actually the source of the problem it's it's it can be very few people in the community who could say you know this was disruptive to anybody else other than those who we would see as being directly directly implicated in uh, in in the issues that you're trying to address. Yeah, it was absolutely targeted at the minister and his his colleagues in the Malinowskis government. And your listeners may be aware of the term uh, state capture hmm. in relation to uh, the climate crisis, the situation where players from the fossil fuel industry are moving into senior parts of the public service and then back out into industry. And uh, Minister Takutsantonis's previous chief of staff, when he was previously the minister in a former government, uh, is the brother of the current Premier. Mm. And Peter Malinowskis is head of government relations for Santos, the biggest oil and gas producer in South Australia. So these relationships that uh, are cosy in family mm. are not acceptable. Mm. They just they have a sense about them and they they really, you know, ordinary people think, nah, that doesn't that doesn't sound right, that doesn't look right. Mm. Doesn't pass um, the pub test as they say. No, it definitely doesn't. And this disruption was very carefully targeted to disrupt the industry and the government, not the public. And um, the disruption was also uh, interesting in that I was able to deliver my speech for just over 10 minutes without interruption. Only one person left the room in a room of perhaps 200 delegates. Right. And they just relocated uh, to another part of the building. So it was interesting that a large number of people had to sit and listen to this comparison of the declaration of the climate emergency, but at the same time 
fueling the climate crisis. Mm. And bear in mind, this wasn't even two years since we'd had loss of life, uh, both humans and um, species, mm. in the megafires on Kangaroo Island. Mm. You know, at the time when the rest of Australia was burning, we lost nearly two-thirds of the largest island off the South Australian coast. Mm. So these, these things are not lost on people. No. Well, we we did we attracted a great deal of support for taking what was seen as principled action. Yeah, good, and and so you should because uh, you yeah. know the community depends upon us all to stand up against uh, where we see, you know, the stench of corruption emanating from, and uh, I think uh, you know that, that you've managed to to take these actions and have no convictions recorded to you, against you seems like a, like an outbreak of justice. Uh, that's wonderful. So uh, you had good support from the community, as you say, and uh, what, what, what do you see on the horizon for Extinction Rebellion South Australia and for yourself uh, in, in regard to uh, these matters? Okay, well, I think um, what I would say is that I think we're at a point where across what I might call the climate ecosystem, the climate activist ecosystem, there is now... Um, a very strong sense of alignment with the, with what science has been telling us now for a while, which is there is no way people can meet the Paris commitments. There's no way we've got a hope in hell of keeping uh, global boiling to uh, even 2 degrees C, never mm. mind we've lost the chance of 1.5. Um, if we continue to exploit oil and gas and coal, mm. like zero, so I think we're now in a situation in which, and we're seeing this in COP, right, you know, in the whole COP process, you know, I'm not going to go into the pros and cons of that, but most climate activists see that as a industry-captured talk fest that says all the right things in statements and then governments go off and do what they want to do mm. as if that process had no meaning. Um, and this is a period where Australia is gearing up for hosting a future COP at the very same time when its exports of coal in particular, but also gas and oil, are contributing to the climate crisis uh, for our Pacific neighbours who mm. are going to lose their lives and their livelihoods and their land. I mean, for Australia to be the third biggest fossil fuel exporter in the world is a matter for a lot of people now of disgrace. Absolutely. Completely unacceptable. Mm. Completely unacceptable. And to talk about... So to, be in company, to be in company with uh, Russia and yeah. Saudi Arabia in the top three, it, yeah. does, it does put us yeah. in some pretty shady uh, yeah. company, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I think uh, in terms of what's on the card for Extinction Rebellion, I think like most climate activist organisations, the focus is no new coal, oil or gas, mm. full stop, none, and move to renewables at emergency speed. And South Australia is a world leader. We should be exporting and proud to be exporting that technology, that know-how, um, as, as um, part of our mission to be genuine mm. about net zero and more like 2035 than definitely not 2050, way too late. Mm. And I think another, another point that I found very interesting was um, Minister Coutts and Tonus like 
many members of parliament have young children. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only point in the speech where he actually tried to interrupt and demur was when I used the names of his children and referred to um, what it meant in terms of what did, what future did he want for his young daughters, his primary school age daughters. And, you know, he was offended. He was clearly offended by that remark. And I thought this is, to me, that was just extraordinary that the bizarre double standard of offence. That was what offended him, not the basic hypocrisy of you declare a climate emergency and then you you expand the, the licensing and the subsidies to mm. the very industries that are going to put the futures of his children and all our children and beyond at risk. And these are people like people living in poverty, like our First Nations people, they've done nothing at all to contribute to this crisis, but they will bear the brunt of it. Mm. It's completely unacceptable. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, that is... And I imagine your listeners would share that view. I, I, I think overwhelmingly, yes, indeed. Wouldn't be new to them, yeah. So I think uh, what people can expect in every state and territory in Australia is that more and more people will recognise that the time for petitions and letters and asking nicely is long, long gone, Mm. and that we really need to get feet on the street because that's what politicians understand. If it's just four people making a speech in a conference room, um, that's a small contribution. But imagine if we'd had 400 people outside instead of 40. Mm. Imagine if we had... 4,000 people. I remember Bob Brown recently said that at the height of the Franklin protest, 6,000 people were on the street in Adelaide. They're the kinds of figures we've all got to get to. So everyone's Mm. got to talk to family, friends, bring them along. Um, You only have to look at the recent success of the rising tide blockade Mm. in Newcastle. 3,000 people, including families, you know, from, from... few months old right up to um uh alan stewart 97 you know yeah we need we need everyone Absolutely. we need everyone well Leah, so that's our future yeah, it is indeed. Well, Lena, look, I thank you for sharing those insights with us here on Environmentalism Anything. I hope you will keep us posted with the Extinction Rebellion South Australia, um, you know, actions and events that are coming up. Put our email on your uh, on your you know email alerts list for uh, for these kinds of stories. And uh, we'd love to we'd love to keep in touch and uh, and uh, again make sure that everybody knows what's going on. Great. We look forward to hearing what's happening in northern New South Wales too. Well, we'll we'll post all of this interview onto our uh, our podcast, and you'll be able to share that around with your friends down there or anywhere, of course, in the world to listen to as well. So, um, yeah, Thanks tune very in. Much, Thanks very much. Not a problem, Lena. Thank you so much for for being with us today. Okay. Cheerio. Cheerio. That was uh, Ms. Lena Sedano, uh, who uh, was one of the uh, uh, the four who uh, recently, the four protesters who disrupted the opening address of the Minister for Energy uh, at the 
South Australia Roundtable for Oil and Gas. So South Australia having a strange uh, bipolar, perhaps, uh, relationship with, uh, with energy right now. And, uh, but it's citizens not sitting back and, uh, refu- and refusing to, uh, to act when it's needed. So thanks to Lena. I wanted to read actually what Lena said. She'd say, we are putting our bodies on the line in desperation and anger. We refuse to be bystanders while our government encourages new gas and oil production, trashing the future for our children, their children and our planet. Well said, Lena. Thanks for joining Environmental as Anything. All right, we've got uh, more stormy music, and um, we've got uh, we've got coming up uh, our feature on religious uh, activism, the uh, people of faith standing up for the climate and for biodiversity and ecology. So uh, that'll start off with uh, uh, Thea Ormerod uh, from the Australian Religious response to climate change and the prayer vigil outside Anthony Albanese's office uh, which was just uh, just the other day just on Friday and then uh, just yesterday and then of course we'll talk to uh, Anne Lanyon we were hearing from Anne Lanyon from the Faith Ecology Network uh, calling for a stronger EPBC, Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act, uh, and uh, and writing to Tanya Plibersek and asking her, uh, the Federal Environment Minister, to do her job and uh, deliver on that call. So uh, stay tuned to Environmental as Anything for all of that. <laughs> Australia heads towards a scorching summer predicted to be the hottest on record. Move Beyond Coal is turning up the heat on the Albanese Labor government to stop approving new coal and gas projects that are driving runaway climate change and extreme weather. Since the start of this year, the Albanese government has already approved four new coal mines despite the International Energy Agency warning that to reach net zero by 2050, there can be no investment in new coal mines. So as the government heads to the UN Climate Conference, COP28 in Dubai, Move Beyond Coal will be at MP offices and iconic locations around Australia calling for real climate leadership from the Labor government and end to approvals for new climate-wrecking coal and gas projects. Hundreds of people will take part in more than 30 actions as part of the Move Beyond Coal Turn Up the Heat Week of Action, 4th to the 10th of December. 
Despite being elected on a wave of demand for climate action, the Labor government is failing the number one test of climate leadership, stopping the approvals of unnecessary and dangerous new coal and gas projects, says Move Beyond Coal spokesperson Janet Cossey. Actions are happening at the electorate offices of Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek, Treasurer Jim Chalmers, Deputy Prime Minister Richard Miles and others. Today I'm speaking to Thea Ormerod, who is from the... Australian Religious Response to Climate Change Group. She is part of the multi-faith vigil at Anthony Albanese's electorate office today in Marrickville. Yeah, I'm Thea Ormerod. I'm here out the front of St Bridget's Church and we're about to walk down the footpath to Minister Prime Minister Albanese's office and have a, a short multi-faith prayer and meditation vigil. Um, yeah, about... No new coal and gas. Right. So um, multi-faith prayer and uh, meditation vigil is uh, a bit of an unusual uh, event for the climate movement. They get a lot more rowdy than that at times. Can you tell us about your organisation? This is ARC, the Australian Religious Response to Climate Change. We're multi-faith and uh, we're joined by our passion for climate, uh, a safe climate. So um, we agree on a whole lot of things that the environment movement is on about. And certainly at the moment, we're happy that the Labor government is so increasing investment in renewable energy and incentivising people to use EVs and electrify and so on. But um, the important thing at the moment is that we export you know, at least double our domestic emissions to other countries through coal and gas exports. And that that is our major contribution to climate change as a small country. And that has to stop. So what's the relationship there for you between uh, faith and environment and climate? All the different faith traditions have scripture and traditions and you know, um, preaching about looking after the environment, caring for our brothers and sisters across the world who are suffering. Um, And that includes people who are suffering because of climate disasters and climate impacts. So because we care about life, we care about people, and we care about the climate because they're intimately related to each other. So... um, it's, and it's also a question of honouring those of us who do believe in God, honouring God. This is God's creation, a gift from God that we are desecrating and we don't actually, we don't own the earth. We're here as stewards to look after the earth. So, yeah, on a number of levels, it's our responsibility to, to care about the climate and care about the environment. So uh, there's, it's, it's, it's an interfaith movement. You've, you're, you're obviously a, a come from a Christian background, but you're saying that there are multiple different faiths represented there today and within, your, uh, within, within ARC. Yeah, I'm very pleased to see people from the Jewish, Muslim uh, traditions, from the Uniting Church, from the Catholic tradition, from Anglican. Um, yeah, so it's good to see a, a diversity, some Pacific Islander people. Um, yeah, so 
we're all of one mind. It's actually not that difficult to get consensus among different faith traditions on really quite strong stands that are to do with climate. So no new coal and gas is something we all agree on, even though it just seems to be something that our current government seems seems frightened of somehow. And, and they continue to subsidise coal and gas industries to the tune of billions of dollars annually. And it's just when, you know, we have a cost of living crisis, I know where that money is better spent. Uh, and they really should know as well. Mm. Um, why are we actually propping these industries up with taxpayer, taxpayer funds? I mean, it's just... It just seems insane, and the word insane seems to be on a lot of people's lips, <laughs> and people from different traditions too, Buddhist, Catholic. Um, the Pope has just given out a, a very strong statement. He wasn't there himself at COP28, but his envoy spoke very strongly. You know, here we are jeopardising our survival. Are we choosing death or are we choosing life? Mm. And, you know, we're in that sense pro-life, you know. We choose life and it just seems unthinkable that we would choose death. But that's what our current government is doing. Mm. And I'm saying that we're a small player. No, that's, that doesn't cut it. You know, this is a, a, we need to do what's right in Australia and not say, oh, well, it's just a small, no, that's, that's minimising sin you know it's actually wrong mm. Mm. and of course all of this is happening uh, around the country uh, 30 different locations uh, outside uh, the offices of labor mps around australia uh, it, it's in conjunction with the un conference of parties uh, the 28th cop cop 28 in dubai uh, what do you think about what's happened in dubai so far from what you know Oh, well, as usual, they're fairly stuck. They make a little they shuffle forward here and there. I mean, they did agree on a loss and damage facility, but the amount of money, I think it's $700 million across the world that's been offered, not even a billion dollars. I mean, this is just crazy. It's just nowhere near enough. Um, yeah, it's always a nowhere near enough decision, and then they go back... <coughs> and not even do that. So, yeah, very disappointing. And yeah, I, I just think people at the grassroots have got to demand better from our governments. Mm. And it is happening across the world. We just need to make our voices more numerous and louder and not louder, but more insistent and more persistent. We need more of us mm. who are saying the same thing, I think. You know, when the voting public says this isn't good enough and when so many people say that, uh, we're going to see change. Yes. I'm sorry I have to go because we have to get going on this uh, protest, actually. Well, there I should definitely not want to stand in the way of progress uh, like that. So uh, thank you so much for speaking to Environmental as Anything today. Have a great day. Yeah, have a good day. Australia.
join in prayer and meditation for meaningful decisions and intention for urgent co-action at the Climate Conference COP28. We pray for courage and compassion to transfer, transform those human activities destroying nature and altering the climate system on which our lives depend. Maybe so. We pray for protection of climate activists and environmental defenders who often risk their health, if not their lives, to break the silence. Maybe so. We pray for protection of the poor and most vulnerable communities, those least responsible yet most affected by our insufficient climate action. Maybe so. We pray that developed countries will lead in cutting greenhouse gas emissions and providing finance for climate remediation, as they promised in the Paris Agreement, including adequate loss and damage finance. We pray leaders in all countries will do all they can to rapidly reduce extraction and burning of fossil fuels and promote sustainable economic, social and political systems to stabilise global temperature rise at 1.5 degrees C above pre-industrial levels. and Indigenous peoples' rights to be acknowledged and better protected, including protection of these rights in carbon trading schemes. We pray that the Australian Government commits to phasing out the export of coal and gas and at the same time makes and executes specific plans for an equitable, orderly transition to a sustainable economy one which is powered by renewable energy. May it be so. We pray that towns depend on coal and gas industries will be transformed into hubs of prosperity, offering many jobs in sustainable industries. May it be so. Next up on Environmental as Anything, I'm very pleased to introduce Anne Lanyon, a Catholic community educator, grandmother and Faith Ecology Network coordinator. The Faith Ecology Network is an Australian hub for strengthening an interfaith dialogue between science and religion in the interest of advancing ecological consciousness and care for the earth. Last week, the Faith Ecology Network, also known as FEN, wrote to the Federal Minister for the Environment, Tanya Plibersek, calling on her to draft the new Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Act to provide more robust environmental protection, ensure properly funded habitat and close legal loopholes that make it possible to destroy ecosystems and biodiversity. So, Anne, thank you for joining Environmental as Anything Today. It's a pleasure to be part of this conversation. Thank you. That's not a problem. Uh, Faith Ecology Network has written to uh, Tanya Plibersek, the Federal Minister for the Environment, calling for the drafting of new Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act uh, provisions to, uh, to do better to protect the environment. What are you hoping to achieve uh, with this letter? 
Well, we are a faith ecology network. We're an interfaith network of people connecting faith with ecological awareness and care. And since about 2020, I suppose it was, um, we've had a focus on biodiversity. And um, we were really pleased to see that Tanya Plibersek took on the role of updating the uh, Federal Environment Protect Biodiversity Protection Act. And we wanted to support the environment groups in their call uh, for, for basically three things. One was to provide more robust environmental protection standards that will protect our Australian um, ecosystems against further destruction. Uh, number two, to ensure properly funded habitat restoration and species recovery programs. And number three, close legal loopholes that make it possible for aggressive business practices that lead to the destruction of ecosystems and biodiversity. And for the Faith Ecology Network, number four, we want to make, to add the voices of the faith networks and faith communities to the environmental groups. Mm. So that's where we come in specifically. Yes, it's, uh, it seems like a very reasonable set of uh, requests. Um, I, I had a couple of questions. Have you heard back from uh, Minister Plibersek's office yet? Not yet. We also sent copies to um, the state ministers around the state and we've had uh, responses from some of those and shadow um, ministers in states, but not from the minister herself. I dare say they're very busy uh, working on this act. Um, so, yeah, haven't heard back yet. We hope to. Yes, yes, indeed, I would think so. Is this the sort of thing that uh, Fenn has done before? Have you been writing to ministers a, a lot over the years? Uh, not a lot. No, we've spent most of our energy because we're such a small um, network of volunteers and we call ourselves a network of networks, um, that we've been focusing our energies on awareness raising and education about the connections between faith and ecology uh, and the ecological sciences. So that's where all our energy's been going. And we encourage always our networks to write letters and individual groups and faith groups would uh, and people involved in specific issues would write letters. For example, I would be writing letters quite often, so would other groups. But uh, not. this is the first time uh, myself as the coordinator has written to the minister, but specifically on this issue. Mm. And it was specifically because we're so focused on biodiversity and we just really... Um, feel this is the best chance there is to get something happening to get some teeth into um, biodiversity conservation because it's absolutely um, uh, just mind-boggling the rate of loss that's going on. So we have to have laws to pre help prevent that. Yes, it's uh, it's it's uh, there's a widespread uh, call from uh, the science community and from the general community for, for instance, for an end to native forest logging. How do you feel about uh, the, those calls? 
yes, and it was pleasing to see um, Sophie Scomps launch the Forest Pledge recently, um, to um, which is garnering support at that level um, for, yes, the ending of native logging, and yes, we would, we would support that. Mm. Yes, yes, it's a no-brainer. Does seem so, but uh, there's uh, there's you, you've you've as you said uh, are encouraging other groups to uh, to also write a letter, and I noticed that uh, on your is on your website there's a page uh, uh, where people can go to to actually uh, to write that letter. Is, yes. is that easy to find uh, on the on yes. the website? I hope so. I haven't looked at it in the last few days, but I'm hoping so. We ha- we encourage people when they write the letter to say what which faith community they're from and that it, it's part of their faith commitment to care for uh, all of life. And any um, loss of species is, is a loss of life. And we just, uh, all the faith traditions are, at one with saying we cannot be human and cause the, the extinction of another species. Mm. Well, that's right. It does seem that the Bible from Genesis to Revelations is packed with exhortations that uh, it is mankind's duty to protect the creation and uh, no lesser person than uh, Pope Francis has said our common home is being pillaged, laid waste and harmed with impunity. Cowardice in defending it is a grave sin. I recently came from the uh, the, 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 the rising tide people's blockade of the world's biggest coal port in Newcastle and was surprised and pleased to see such a strong contingent of people identifying as people of faith there active from from the dean of the uh, the cathedral uh, there in in Newcastle blessing the flotilla before it set off uh, to uh, the reverend Alan Stewart the 97 year old man who was actually arrested in that blockade. I wondered what you think uh, is an appropriate uh, response from people of faith to the growing calls for all of us to engage in a peaceful protest uh, to protect uh, endangered ecologies and our climate. Yes, that's one part. Um, The people who were there at the Rising Tide um, action the people from the faith communities are connected to the Australian Religious Response to Climate Change, mm-hmm. ARC, and um, that's a different organisation from the Faith Ecology Network. We've been going since 2003. and Our particular approach is saying that um, what the... the, the Earth is crying out now and saying that the way we're living is totally incompatible with um, with the flourishing of life. And we can read the signs. The scientists are telling us that uh, the way we're living is destructive to ecosystems. Um, we say that if, if we're going to bring about change, we have to bring about a change of heart, mm. which is based on realising we're interconnected with all life and we're interdependent on all life. Mm. As So that learning about being interconnected and interdependent 
comes as part of the action. So we have an approach where we've developed a process that's about deep listening to earth and becoming more ecologically conscious so that um, we listen and learn from earth itself, from the sciences, the scientists who study the earth, and we reflect on what's going on in the light of our faith traditions. And we do this across the faith traditions. So we're encouraging this shifting from a kind of dualistic system to a holistic approach where we're really trying to learn, listen to each other, grow in relationships, reflect on it in the light of our faith tradition and take action. And the actions um, are constructive. So they're constructive in, in healing, connecting, building relationships. And if that means um, um, positive ob objections and uh, nonviolent actions, that's fine. We're fine with that. Mm. But with FEN, our main approach is about bringing about the shifting consciousness, especially in the faith traditions. Well, that sounds like a wonderful approach. It's uh, certainly uh, uh, much needed, uh, I would say. But um, so, so now um, you're hoping to hear back from the the minister. Uh, what what next for Fen? If uh, you haven't heard back from her, you know, within some reasonable period of time. Well, we'll keep encouraging um, people to write. But and if I haven't heard back from the minister, I will follow up with that. And we will, the way Fen works with our interfaith group, we'll talk about it and probably uh, just decide as a group. I'm just the coordinator. I don't make the decisions. We have a group of about 20 people who will um, work this one out and we haven't planned it this stage yet what we will do but we will certainly keep following it up and um, one of the things that we will be keeping on um, doing especially next year uh, because out of the um, Kunming Montreal um, biodiversity global biodiversity agreement which was the target of um, trying to protect 30 percent of um, um, species and ecosystems by 2030. There's going to be a big summit happening in Sydney um, because the terminology that they're using there is from the um, coming Montreal um, framework is being nature positive. So, so being switching things around to valuing nature. Mm. So we'll be focusing throughout the year on trying to collaborate with that approach, being positive towards nature and bringing in the faith aspect there. So we'll be planning several um, events throughout the year. Uh, so in all of those, we'll be, we'll, be, um, we'll, we'll be collaborating with our faith traditions, with the wider community, with ecologists, and we'll be letting... Um, our leaders know about it. Well, I hope you will keep uh, us posted here at Environmental as Anything so that we can share that uh, good work around. We would love to. And um, 
people can contact us on the Faith Ecology website. Um, you'll see there a statement we've made on biodiversity and you'll see a copy of the letter there. You'll see be able to look up past events that we've held on biodiversity and see resources we've got there. And we'd be very happy to hear from you. All right. Well, we'll look forward to to all of that. And uh, yes, that's a faithecology.net.au. Thank you for joining Environmental as Anything today. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was Anne Lanyon from the Faith Ecology Network talking to us about their letter that they have sent to Tanya Plibersek, the Federal Environment Minister, calling on the drafting of a stronger Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act. Sam, good morning. Uh, good morning, people. Look, uh, I want to tell you about a incident cold supermarket on Friday. I wanted to purchase a 30-pack of Coke Zero, which they have at the front, which is normally means it's something special. I was in a hurry. I picked up the pack of 30, put it through the register, and to my amazement, it was $45, because it's normally around about $27. So I went and checked the price and had two 30-packs for $57. Now, I just want to make a couple of points. We're getting over COVID. We've got soaring cost of living, increasing interest rate, and here we've got a supermarket chain, Pure Greed, who make a, over a billion dollars profit a year. It's a total rip-off. It is just morally and ethically wrong on all levels. Well, as Sam, as... As like would have it, we're about to speak to one of the politicians who's uh, demanded Coles and Woolworths uh, appear before committees in Parliament to justify what they're doing with their prices at the moment. Good timing. It's time that Coles and Woolies, the corporate supermarket giants in Australia, were called to account. Millions of Australians are struggling to put food on the table, struggling to afford the basic necessities of, of life, while Coles and Woolworths are raking in literally billions of dollars in profits. It's impossible to walk the aisles of a Coles or Woolies supermarket at the moment, fill up your trolley, get to the checkout and not be appalled at the dollar value of the goods that you have gathered. It is time that we had a robust inquiry into the pricing practices of the corporate supermarket giants in Australia. It's time we examined the overwhelming concentration of market power that Coles and Woolies have. And it's time that we hauled the CEOs in, those CEOs of Coles and Woolies that are making off like bandits while their corporations make billions of dollars in profit and ensured that those CEOs are called to account for their pricing practices. That was Green Senator Nick McKim from Tasmania talking about the uh, inquiry into the supermarket duopoly price gouging practices that he has managed to establish and will be chairing in the Federal Australian Parliament uh, very soon.
course, that's it for us on Environmental as Anything for today. Uh, thank you for being with me. really appreciate your company. It's uh, great to be here. And I uh, hope you'll be with us again next week for another great show. We'll see you then. But uh, in the meantime, please be gentle with yourself, be kind to each other, and remember we are all in this together. And on that, we are reaching out to the people of Palestine. And uh, here is the address from the Green Senators to the Senate uh, uh, on a call for a ceasefire for Palestine, uh, which uh, seems like, again, another no-brainer. That's what's going to take us out from the show today. On Friday, with the expiry of the temporary truce, the State of Israel's military recommenced its offensive in Gaza. More than 700 deaths have been recorded in Gaza in the past 24 hours alone. There are 1.5 million displaced Palestinians, most of whom are living in overcrowded shelters with poor access to hygiene facilities and safe water, with the knowledge that if they are wounded, adequate health care is virtually non-existent. Nothing could be as urgent as ending the senseless killing of the people of Gaza. How can it be that our government is effectively saying that international human rights law doesn't apply? This is not a complicated geopolitical puzzle. The stark and clear reality is that innocent people are being slaughtered by the war crimes of the Israeli government. And in the face of this, any political leader who does not join the calls for an immediate and permanent ceasefire, anything less from them is complicity in these ongoing killings. The Australian government must call for an immediate permanent ceasefire. Israel's relentless and inhumane attacks must end. Whatever we do, we must speak truth in this moment. In the name of humanity, ceasefire now. According to DFAT's own website, between 2017 and 2022, Australia exported over $13 million worth of, quote, arms and ammunition to Israel. Uh, uh, uh.